a dream. That's one small step for man. I am the greatest. You want something? Go get it. Period. Edit, but there. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Michael. Great to have you on to talk in depth on this interview recording. A lot to cover, but I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk. It's a pleasure to be with you, Anthony. Awesome. So you're in Houston. I'm in Austin. Uh, Texas binding us here. Um, when did you move to Houston and where were you before? I moved to Houston in 2002. Before that, I was in Los Angeles. So I was a professor at UCLA for about six years, and then I moved to Rice University here about 20 years ago. All right, so that's, that's correct. I see that when I was doing some homework. I saw Harvard on there, too. So you got a whole lot of experience. Um, yeah. I've been on both coasts, right? So I went to school at Caltech and then Berkeley, and I did a postdoc at Harvard. So enjoyed everywhere I lived, Connecticut, Massachusetts, California, Texas. Awesome. Awesome. So for those who do not know you, you know, say they're strangers on here listening. Um, can you give a brief overview of where you grew up, what that led to and your interest and curiosity of anything related to the field you're in? Um, and then how that spurred even more opportunities thereafter. I grew up in New Jersey. I was always interested in science and engineering. I had the opportunity to go to school in California, so I went to Caltech in Pasadena, California. I really enjoyed that. I studied chemical engineering. Did the same thing at UC Berkeley. Also studied chemical engineering for my PhD. I worked with a small startup in Brantford, Connecticut for about a year, Curigen. They had a nice IPO in the late 1990s. I did a postdoc in physics at Harvard for a while, and then I started as a professor in chemical engineering at UCLA. Got tenure there, and a couple of years later, Rice recruited me to build their biological efforts. So I started the systematic physical biology program there at Rice, and I was chair of the bioengineering department for a while. Worked with a number of small companies through the years, really enjoyed that. Probably the biggest one was Ion Torrent Systems. I was the third person there, did all of the original engineering calculations. That was sold to Life Technologies, and then that part of Life was sold to Thermo Fisher for about $2.3 So that's probably the biggest exit I've had. In the last year or so, I've been with Coastal Ventures, so I'm a venture capitalist now. I help others invent the future. Right, right. Yeah, the the one name, that's all incredible. Um, the one name that caught my ear, though, is uh, Turing. Is that related to the Turing machine in any way, or is that? Sure. So I do a little bit of computer science. Alan Turing was one of the original computer scientists. What we worked on at Ion Torrent Systems was to do DNA sequencing. So we had about 18% of the sequencing market at one point. So that was an interesting experience to see it go from idea to sale to really capturing a large fraction of the market. That's incredible. I watched a movie, I forget what it was, but it was all about Alan Turing. Um, I forget who played it to, amazing actor. Yeah, incredible. Uh, he was a very clever guy. He really invented a lot of computer science and a lot of applied mathematics. Yeah, yeah. So the thing that interests me a lot is this thing of startups, of building something from idea to execution and scaling it out. I'm in the midst of it, as you partially know of, but in terms of highlighting everything on you, I want to know for the first exit you had, first company, what it was like being a part of that and um, what you learned from being a part of the team. Was it, did you join when there were 
a few employees or were you a little bit later? How that process work? Sure. So I've done it a few times. The first one was a company called Curigen. That was one of Jonathan Rothberg's companies in Brantford, Connecticut. I was a 10th person there. So I was a young person. I was the director of drug design and I helped a bit with them designing drugs, helped a bit with them doing DNA sequencing. They grew from 10 people when I was there to about 100 people a few years later. So it was really interesting to see this growth of the company. And that's what I enjoyed was developing the ideas, going from one to two to 100 people. Right, right. How do you develop ideas? Like, is, there, is there a kind of theme or a process to it? Or is it just, you know, just put it on a, a whiteboard of, of sorts and uh, get to solving problems from there? Sure. So I've seen this a few times now as an academic, we go from very far out there ideas to trying to develop the idea to see if it may make sense possibly. And then as a venture capitalist, what we do is go from something that's a little bit more of a developed idea, which has some potential market. And then we try to sort of give something to the customers that they'll see value. So I and Torrent Systems, we went from this idea of doing DNA sequencing by solid state detection. And that was not really done in industry at the time, but there was some precedent in academia. And we did preliminary calculations to show, I did preliminary calculations to show that, yes, it might be possible to do DNA sequencing by the solid state method. And then we started to do some experiments. And then we really built out all of the processes for building the boxes, for doing the software, for doing the chemistry. And we sort of did all of that in parallel. And we happen to be very lucky and we were very fast with that implementation. Typically takes three to five to seven years to go from initiation of a startup to really sort of a full-size successful startup. Right. Yeah, I know most startups are trying to move fast and rapid. What allowed you guys to move at such a quick pace? Was it delegation of team members doing different tasks or what was that? Sure. So typically you know, you'll find that there are different aspects of the business and you have a director or vice president or maybe a C-level executive in charge of each of those different aspects. One of the things we look for at Coastal Ventures was we want to see that the management of the company is very good. We want to see that the timing for the potential product is very good. We want to see that there's a large market for the potential product. And then since we're in life sciences, we're also typically looking for some intellectual property and some patents and protection around that intellectual property. Right. And if all those four legs to the stool or the chair or the table come together, then you know, there's a good chance that this will be a successful company. Yeah, that, that was going to be my follow-up was what you guys look for with a lot of startups. And I heard the term, you know, bet on the uh, jockey, not the horse, because the one leading the charge is most likely going to be able to do what they can, whatever they can to make it work. So I'm sure you look for good founders as well. We have a saying, you know, is it a can't miss founder? So if it's a can't miss founder, those are the people that we want to invest in pretty much no matter what the topic is. But as we dive into it, we'll look at the other three aspects as well. So we want to see that there's potentially large market. We want to see that the timing for market is good. And we want to see that there's a moat around the business so that it's difficult for others to replicate that same business. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's like a, a no ability to have competition, even though, of course, there's, if you're in a highly intense industry, there's going to be some inevitable 
company trying to mimic you, but you know, I, I think it was uh, who wrote uh, I think it grow rich it was Napoleon Hill talks about just focusing on not having competition, just being yourself, being unique. Right. We like to see, you know, of course, there's going to be some competition. We don't really want to see more than four or five competitors in the exact space. And, you know, if there are a limited number of competitors, that's kind of good because it says, well, the space maybe has some value. We're not the first ones to see it. We're one of the first ones to see it. And then probably there will be some differentiation among the companies as it develops. So, you know, of the five competitors, maybe two or three will be successful. And hopefully we're betting on those two or three. Right, right. What are their most prominent investments for Coastal Ventures uh, to this date? I think a really interesting one was Impossible Foods. Uh, you know, so I was a, an entrepreneur in Kosla for a year and I'm wrapping that up. I finished that very recently. Impossible Foods was something before my time, but a really interesting company. You know, you can get the Impossible Burger now at Burger King. You can get Impossible Sausage at Starbucks. And it's really, uh, it's a plant-based meat-like food for vegetarians. And it's something you know, I think we supported probably 10 years ago. Now we're, we're looking at other companies around that space. We're very well, known in the, very well known in the renewables area. And in life sciences, we have a number of really interesting investments. Um, we're looking at protein engineering. We're looking at developing of pharmaceuticals, developing of therapeutics, even looking at various, in, uh, various innovative insurance products, various aspects of digital health, how people are managed in the hospital. Yeah, that's that's great. I the one company that is incredible to my eyes right now, obviously by a great billionaire founder, uh, Mark Cuban's company, the pharmaceutical company. I it seems like such an easy thing, but obviously it's hard with all the red tape surrounding the pharmaceutical industry. But he's just slashing prices like mad, and everyone's putting their eyes towards it and using it. So obviously there's value there. There's a there's a big opportunity now, I think, in the delivery of pharmaceuticals. So Amazon is moving into healthcare. You know, they're going to be delivering drugs and pharmaceuticals via Amazon. They're going to deliver nursing care through Amazon Health. And eventually they're going to deliver doctor care through Amazon Health. So healthcare is 25, is 20% of the U.S. economy. So it's really a tremendously important aspect in our daily lives and in our economy. Wow. Yeah, I think it was a couple of years ago where Warren Buffett um, founder of JP Morgan or the CEO of JP Morgan, um, Jamie Diamond. And then, Jamie Diamond. Yeah. And then, uh, Jeff Bezos at that time when he was the CEO, they like pulled together a bunch of their, you know, operating minds. Yeah. There were, there were three companies that came together to try to build a conglomerate for healthcare. And it's just difficult. So that one, they worked on it for about three years and then they separated, but Amazon continued. And I think there's a good chance that Amazon will be successful in somewhat commoditizing healthcare. Right, right. Yeah, they can most certainly create a moat. They're already dominant enough. So slowly eating away the world <laughs> through software. Yeah. I think there was a good article about that. Uh, was, who was it? Really good founder and investor, something Graham. Um, Paul Graham, probably. He talks about uh, software, how software is eating the world. Yeah, there's a fellow, Mark Andreessen. He's the founder of A16Z. That's another very well-known, very successful venture capital firm. I think he wrote the original web browser, and he said that software is eating the world. 
And he's applying that now in other areas as well. So they're also interested in healthcare. Everyone looks to software as a model because it's very easy to distribute software now to users. And we'd like to be able to distribute healthcare, for example, the same way. So telehealth, you know, not having to go into your doctor, but having a virtual visit with your doctor to uh, improve your health. That's something I think that'll be a big factor in the future going forward for people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with the state of the economy in general, it's going up and down, as everyone knows. It, is there a different approach to your investment style now? Or are you still same principles, you know, head down, bet on the ones that, that you believe in? What do you think? The work at home really changed some things. So for example, um, patients who are sick, they don't really want to go to the hospital as much now the last couple of years because they're sort of afraid of getting sick in the hospital. So this, I would say, limited some of the healthcare choices for some patients. It also made it a little bit more difficult to do clinical trials. So many of the companies that were looking to develop new drugs for diseases, for cancers and so on, they had a hard time finding patients who were willing to do the clinical trial. So the work at home and the restrictions uh, around COVID did have some implications for many of the companies. For software companies, on the other hand, they did really well during the pandemic because um, software really helps make everything more efficient in our economy. And that was a very natural fit for the pandemic. Amazon did really well. People order stuff from home during the pandemic. So some companies did really well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great points. Um, for I always ask this to people who know their stuff. For those who are getting into the entrepreneurship field, want to start their own business, speaking to younger folks, that is, uh, as of me asking this question right now, what would you advise them as they get into this journey? The one, something that's not easy to do. Sure, I think you know, make sure first what you want to do is something you're passionate about because it's going to be more difficult than you expect. And really persistence is a key aspect of a successful business and a successful business person. Another point is to find peers, you know, find other founders who've done what you want to do and make them your mentors, ask them for advice. And then also if you're raising money, you know, start thinking about talking to investors really before you actually need them. So the, the best time to start raising money is way before you, you think you're actually going to need it. And that network of potential investors, not only some of them might you know, give you investments, give you funds in the future, but also they can be some of your mentors as well, because they have a lot of experience. Just um, they probably see a hundred times more companies than you might see. So that vast experience that they have, some of it's going to be useful for you. Right, right. Yeah, I think... Uh... <laughs> Quote, to quote the famous rapper who's now really biz, great businessman he said the one thing we did was uh we didn't stop you know jay-z said that but goes to show i mean persistence keeping forth i'm experiencing that now with what i'm a part of so it's uh it's good to shine a light on that but great great knowledge great insight and uh to more so put the stage on your side you know i'm asking the questions but is there anything you've been ruminating on uh, just observing in the world that you want to point to and talk about and and uh, just expand on where you can have the stage to talk about that. Something that's interesting from the pandemic the last couple of years is people work at home and they start to realize, well, if I'm working at home, 
you know, maybe I want a little bit nicer home. So this is one of the reasons that housing has done so well the last few years. People also start to realize, well, if I'm working at home, maybe I could start my own business, you know, something along the lines of what you're doing. So I think a lot of creativity will come out of this pandemic in that people will start new companies, they'll think about new ideas, and we'll find new solutions to problems for our society. Absolutely. Yeah, with the, the toughest times, a lot of innovation. I, I've read that during the depression is when, more so the recession too, um, the most innovative companies have been founded. I think it was like the early 2000s when that happened, or maybe like late 90s is when a bunch of the logistics companies came about and all of that. So, yeah. And then I would say in the life sciences, people now are much more appreciative of what life sciences can do for medicine and for them. So the COVID vaccine, you know, we came out with that as a field in less than a year, really. So they've been working on those types of vaccines for cancers for more than a decade. And they pivoted to making the vaccine for a virus for the COVID within a year. And it was approved really quickly. And it was a very successful vaccine. The efficacy of the COVID vaccine against the original strains was about 90% all the way up to even 97% in some cases. And I think now the public has an appreciation for what science can do to make their lives better. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, more education on that for sure because it's so foreign, you know, pandemics. Um, you know, disease is one thing that can eat, really eat us away. So it's good we have all that at disposal. You know, smart minds like yourself and others. Again, healthcare is 20% of the economy. So, you know, it has a big impact on our daily lives. So anything we can do to improve our health, to improve our well-being, and also to make healthcare more efficient and more accessible to everyone. Those are those are all aspects that are really interesting for the future. Right. What do you think about those people who are outside of the access to drugs, like the availability to drugs, like say even third world countries where it's like last mile, uh, where they have no access to anything. I know there's a nonprofit last mile health that's doing some great work, but what do you think about those individuals? So, you know, some of the best things for welfare of the population are sanitation. Um, disease went down a tremendous amount 80 years ago in the more developed countries because of improved public sanitation. Um, vaccines are a tremendously useful preventative medicine for societies. The more we can make vaccines available to the entire world, you know, I think the more it'll help everybody. Um, and then antibiotics is a big area as well. It's really difficult for companies to develop new antibiotics. It's difficult to get funding for this, but you know, we do see that there are a number of infectious diseases that keep coming around. So you know, the more we can develop novel classes of antibiotics, I would say this is worldwide a big, we'll have big impact as well. Hmm. Yeah, appreciate you shining a light on that. But I have laid out all my questions here. Um, if there's anything you want to bring up, like I said, I should before, if anything, you've been ruminating on what you answered. But if there's anything else uh, you'd like to bring up, you can. But, you know, kind of scratch my itch here with everything. And hopefully, everyone listening to this recording, you know, got value from it. Sure. I think, you know, anyone who's interested in healthcare, Go see what the availability is for yourself, or you know, if you're interested in education, 
can always go back to school. Your kids can go back to school. I think it's a great opportunity to help the world to contribute to life sciences and healthcare. Awesome. Appreciate that, Michael. Well, pleasure to meet you, Anthony, and to be on the podcast. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Good luck to you. Bye. Awesome.